0: Hello and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and today I'm speaking with the director, Ike Karapetian, about his film, Squeal. I absolutely adored your film, Squeal. I thought yeah. it was just a remarkable take. What drove you to make this film? What was it specifically that drew you to this project and this idea?
1: it's a long, a long story because initially like uh, I wanted to make a sand packing pass kind of modern Western, but then I uh, started to struggle struggling with a treatment and I, I I just left it in my my table for several years and then uh, because I understood that there is a missing one element very in you know, the story a very uh, very important element and then i Read an article about a man who wanted to sell his pig because this pig uh, bite him. And that is why he wanted to, but nobody wanted to buy him because he, he was a bit aggressive pig. And I answered, that I need to add pig or piglet. Then uh, I came back to the story and they started to rewrite and write and develop. And, and it transformed from a like pecking, kind of Western to the. Fairy tale, sunny shining, birds are singing, and uh, beautiful landscapes and funny faces.
0: And it's a remarkable story. The way that you film it too, I think, because of the way that the music sets the tone in so many places. And it also feels very connected to Itumama Tambien for me as well, because of the omniscient narrator. That knows everything that's going to
1: transpire
0: in the future as well as what's going through people's heads in the present. And
1: I will, uh, I will uh, reveal a secret. Yeah. Actually, this film is very much inspired by Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, if you have seen.
0: That was the other point of inspiration I was about to ask about, <laughs> because it feels so painterly in certain segments. And obviously the scene between Kirke and Sam at the end of the film feels a lot like the beginning of Barry Lyndon. And it's very, very tongue in cheek in so many different ways that are just beautiful to explore about the forks in the road that we take. But it's interesting watching it situated where it is in time. What was your thought on the time period in which it's supposed to take place?
1: It uh, should be in modern time, but, but also I didn't want that this world where Sam is uh, shouldn't be connected with a real world that we know very well. Uh, it's uh, one of the reasons why also his name is Samuel, because if you remember from the Bible, there, there was a Samuel, the only man who heard the voice of a God. And uh, I thought that it could be like a good reference uh, for him uh, to, to, we don't see in the film, actually we shot it, but they just cut it out. We don't see his ordinary world where he is living before arriving to Latvia. And, um, and I honestly be like more pure and, uh, clean in terms of a perception of the story, if we will dive in from the first second in this fairytale world, where there is a piglet in the woods and there is a guy who is looking for his father. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it 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 was like decision what I made in the cutting room. So yeah, so about the time period, of course, it's a modern time, but uh, but it's not a modern world.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting too, looking at how it explores fairy tales. There are so many films from the Baltic states, particularly Estonia, that explore this fairy tale thing, like Krat and November and. I don't know if those sort of fairy tale folk horror stories were also a point of inspiration, no because
1: you know uh, November was based on uh, on uh, folk, and uh, here I wanted to avoid any kind of national identity mm. uh, uh, I did uh, that is why there is no mention that the, the story take part in uh, in Latvia or it happens in Latvia or. They speak in Latvian. This nationality also is not mentioned in the film because it could happen everywhere and anywhere. Especially for Latvian audience, I hope so that they will not see on the screen also Latvia because we try to find very specific landscapes which could resemble uh, more like a flavish kind of paintings mm-hmm. from maybe like the 19th century. Yeah. And actually, in Latvia, there is only one region. Where the woods and the nature doesn't look very typical for Baltic states. And it was one of the reasons why we stayed in this region to, to shoot the film. Because also we wanted to, uh, to depict these landscapes like uh, paintings, as you also mentioned in the beginning of our conversation. So, so yeah.
0: And I love what you did with the languages, your choice to have the English overlay, but then this decision for him to not be able to comprehend most of what is happening while the audience does. I think creating layers of meaning around language and what people do and do not understand creates this interesting suspense on screen. How did you make the decision about how to play that out? Actually, it's a
1: good question because I had very... uh... I had uh, an idea that when uh, the characters speak in Latvian, we don't have any kind of subtitles. We yeah. don't understand as a main character what they, s- they talk about. But then afterwards I understood that uh, it could be a problem for audience because the main character is not talking and it will be very confusing because we need to get some information not only from narrator but also from other characters. And, uh, and uh, one of the reasons why also this... Uh, narrator uh, makes the spoilers mm-hmm. what is going to happen i was fascinated by the method of uh, garcia marcus yeah a hundred years of solitude yeah. where uh, sometimes you like read the spoiler of the story and actually it doesn't spoil your perception but you are waiting for this for this event yeah and, and uh, i remember with, uh, when i was writing i had a bit like like uh Discussions, discussions with my co-writer and producers that they thought that it could spoil the perception uh, of the story, but I was sure that that uh, it will make uh, the audience to feel themselves more privileged than uh, the characters are because they know how it's going to be end, but they don't know the details. Very well, they are sitting and waiting for it. For example, about in the end when the narrator. Mentions that these pigs are going to uh, uh, find. Yeah, they they are going to find this uh, terrifying fate. Uh, something like that I don't remember about this future, but uh, there, there will be nothing good for them. And uh, you are like, okay, I, I want to see it. How it's we're going to end up for these uh, poor pigs.
0: Yeah. And it's actually interesting because I think for a lot of people, there's always the question, does the dog die in the end? Like there's even a website called, does the dog die in the end? (laughs) Because people want to know, am I going to have my emotions played with in this horrible way? And It's kind of an interesting narrative choice, I think, to make it clear through the omniscient narrator.
1: Thank you, because, you know, my producer and co-writer, everyone was very scared uh, about this uh, idea of narrator they try to convince me not to use the narration uh, because you know it's uh, in, in terms of writing it's not a good tool because you can explain a lot of things by narrator but uh i then I, I remember i i sent them the one of the you know, drafts of a film from a cutting room i sent them without the narrator they understood that i was right because without the narrator the story becomes too heavy and without any ironical kind of approach, tone. And this narrator gives this ironic tone, helps the audience to perceive the story in the right way. And
0: it is a beautiful communicator of tone as it exists in the film and then keeps the audience connected to the various forks in the road at the same time. So it's quite lovely. I also wondered about the pigs. How was it to work with pigs?
1: Before we were shooting, everyone was scared about the fact that we are going to work with the pigs. I remember I told to my producer that, man, you will see that we are going to have more problems with the human beings than with the pigs. And actually I was right.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> pigs are very smart. And uh, the first take, they don't understand what is going on. The second take, they remember everything. I mean, uh, I mean the big pigs, Piglets, of course, they are little kids. Uh, they're a big dummy. Uh, that is why we had three piglets. If one of them is tired or something, we changed another piglet. But pigs, yeah, it's uh, easier than for human beings. It's my, it would be my answer.
0: I kind of assumed you were going to say that, because to shoot them as lovingly as you did, you would have to have a really strong relationship to nature and to pigs and so forth. How hard was it to convince other people that this was going to
1: work. And nobody imagined how it's going to happen. There is why I didn't need to convince them. Then they, they were on the set. They answered, okay, it's for real.
0: Wow. Okay. So literally people were not afraid of any element of this?
1: No, I think it's more, it was a question about the comfort. You know, how comfortable you are on the set because all it smells and, uh, and uh, it it was very hot summer also very sunny Mm. and uh, there were like a lot of different kind of insects and especially for kevin it was a challenge of course because he was the biggest victim not only film but also set but he's a very uh, encouraged actor and uh, brave actor and, and I appreciate it, yeah.
0: What were your favorite collaborations and obstacles that came about on the set?
1: I'm always very close with a DOP. So Mm -hmm. my answer would be like, uh, my DOP, your disc, means uh, we had very close relationships. And maybe he was except me, the only one who understood what we are going to do, what kind of movie is going to be. Because, of course, uh, in the crew, everyone... Had his own in the ahead, but um, obstacles. You know, it's very hard to define one obstacle because every day you are struggling with the problems, and I, uh, I, uh, I had so many stress about about everything, about everything. Actually, yeah, about the, food, <laughs> about the weather, about the, I, I uh, yeah. It's like all the time you have an obstacle and. You need to solve the problems. And I can't uh, define one big problem. No. It was very, very different. Mm. Animals, actors, weather, everything. Uh, everything. Time, the money, f- budgets. Uh, well, that's
0: the number one obstacle always, right? To fight with the numbers.
1: Maybe we all were very stressed about the scene uh, when this farm was on fire. Mm. We were like uh, preparing for that scene even before we shooting and we just left the scene in the end of the schedule of the shooting uh, and we it was very risky stuff because we were shooting in a real location and we just built an additional kind of place to burn it down in the end of the film. And we had only 15 minutes to shoot it and we didn't s- switch off the camera uh, that is why it's been shot in a, with one shot. We just one take, then position uh, A, and we go another take because we had only fifteen minutes, and we shot like nine takes. And uh, yeah, and I was so happy when we shot the scene because it was the most um, challenging one in the whole Mm. shooting period.
0: But it's an incredible sequence. And between the storyboarding and the cinematography, it's really fascinating what goes in and out of frame in that sequence as well. Would you do it again that way, leaving the hardest thing for last?
1: Uh, It was technically the hardest one. Uh, You know, you don't choose this kind of stuff. You just make a decision uh, because it's good for film and you have less risks. If we would uh, uh, burn down this place in the beginning of the shooting, so it means that we need to rebuild the whole location, and it it's, uh, it would be like uh, it would take a lot of time and uh, and uh, resources. So, but in terms of uh, actors, uh, it's better to start with the hardest ones and then uh, to to leave, uh, the easiest scenes and things in the end of the schedule.
0: And how terrible that practicality dictates you can't do that. That makes it so much harder. You need to
1: accept it. Yeah. You need to accept it, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's not the, the... the worst thing that you can furnish <laughs> except, except for problems.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny because Julia Ducor said about Titan, that that opening sequence in Titan, where you have the one take that comes in of all of the cars and everything, that that was the first shot that she did with everybody. And she did it specifically to bring the team together and for everyone to have a stake in something to defend that they did and everyone would come together with this sense of they accomplished Mm -hmm. something as a team. And I love that idea of how to approach filmmaking, but it's so hard, it's so much easier to save the worst for last. And that's what I did on my last film and just what you do, right?
1: (laughs) But it's, uh, you know, for me, it's very individual thing for me like the first shooting days are the worst ones because you try to find the language of the crew you try mm-hmm. to find the way how you're going to work you feel or you think that you have a lot of time because it's like a first shooting days and you make like a lot of takes and then afterwards when there are, you, ha- you have uh, like few days before the wrap you understand that the last weeks, you don't shoot like a ten takes, but in a two, three takes you solve all problems because you don't have doubts, you are not afraid, and you like may may uh, you are making decisions easier because you are tired, exhausted, and uh, also the film is whispering uh, to your ear what to do. I, I need to do this and this, and if you hear it, it becomes much easier after the second week of a shooting to to. But also, it's very scary. I remember with my DOP, uh, at the beginning of the shooting, we uh, promised to each other that uh, if one of us will hear the voice of a film, which will tell us what to do, we need to notice. We need to tell to each other, oh, the movie is talking to me. And uh, we were very scared that the movie is not going to talk with us after a second. We, uh, normally, it's, it starts from the second or third week. So if a movie is not talking with you, it means that the the movie is dead.
0: (laughs) Wow. I love that analogy, that idea that the movie is literally whispering in your ear. Thank you so much for this interview and for the film. It's a wonderful film. Thank you very much for
1: good words and thank you for your time watching the film.
0: Take good care and hopefully we will talk again someday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of land stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land. And I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes we don't want your money we want your words a simple rto rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content and connect with us on instagram and twitter where we are at omnibus ride you can also visit our website omnibusride.com where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.